Ossert would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging, and any First Nations people listening today. We also want to acknowledge that these lands have always been places of learning and sharing of information, and that is the essence of this podcast. Welcome to the Ossert Podcast. Share today, save tomorrow. I'm your host, Anthony Caruana, and for this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Carla Rogers, a Brisbane-based psychologist who many of you may have seen at the 2022 Ossert Conference. We chat about some of the things we can do to boost our mental health. And back to the fray, I welcome my co-host, Beck, who chats with Mike Holm about what's happening at Ossert. I'm joined today by Dr. Carla Rogers, who many of you might have seen around the Ossert 2022 Conference. And she was there supporting information security professionals who wanted to talk about some of the challenges that they face in their workplaces. And you may have seen her being called out during the opening keynote by Adam and also as she attended sessions throughout the two-day conference. So welcome today, Carla. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Anthony. We'll dive straight in. We know information security is a pretty high-pressure world. A lot of things happen often very quickly and often with no notice, which makes things quite challenging for the people working in the industry now, as individuals who often are placed in high-pressure situations, what are perhaps some of the things that we need to look at in ourselves that might be pointers to that perhaps we're getting a little bit unhealthy in at work, particularly when it comes to our mental health? One of the first things I always get people to really be aware of in themselves is physical manifestations of the stress. So people will often come in and just sort of complain about increasing headaches or that they're not sleeping well, or maybe their diet nutrition is taking a dive. And they're, they're what people don't often focus on as something that's important. They'll just brush it aside as, you know, I've been getting headaches or, or the other big thing. And I, this is something I noticed that people sort of downplay is their relationships with others. So perhaps everybody is keeping it keeping it really together at work, or so they think, but then maybe their home relationships with either family partners, children are not going as well as they would normally. So that's really interesting because, you know, we often hear about the the connection between the mind and body and people kind of talk about it. And we often hear it in sport in particular, you know, get your brain right, you perform better on the field, that kind of Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. But those physical manifestations, we tend to put aside as not being connected to our mental health a lot of the time. Is that is that perhaps one of the big misconceptions or challenges that you, you see? Look, I, I think for a long time, and I'm, I'm sure there's varying views on this, but for a long time, I think Western medicine has really seen a real disconnect between mind and body. You know, it's something we hear a lot about in perhaps, you know, Chinese medicine or traditional medicines, but Western medicine for, for a long time has really, I think, ignored that that combination of mental and physical and I think now over the last maybe decade, couple of decades, we're really starting to, to pay more attention to it. We're talking a lot more about the, the brain-gut connection and how people's you know, diet and nutrition really has a massive impact on a lot of things in our mental health. So I do think we downplay it. And I think it's time to really start paying attention to what's going on in our body as indicators of how we're doing mentally as well and vice versa. And that's really interesting. You just mentioned that brain-gut connection. I know that mm. that's something, there's a neuroscientist based in the US, Dr. Andrew Huberman, who talks quite extensively about that. He does. If anyone's interested in that topic, go and find the Huberman podcast, because it is really, really interesting when he talks about some of those 
those brain body links. And obviously he does it through the lens of neuro neurobiology, but we do know that what we put into our bodies does manifest in what comes out of our bodies. And sometimes what comes out of our bodies are things like headaches or anxiety and all those other things that, you know, have physical manifestations. I'm also interested in that angle you talked about, about the way it happens with relationships. Our work, we do tend to compartmentalize, particularly I can say, you know, without going too deeply into gender biases and all that sort of stuff, but oh, there's an I mean, absolute gender bias. <laughs> there is. I mean, men are pretty good at compartmentalizing generally. Yeah. And InfoSec is a quite male dominated industry. Mm-hmm. Is that one of the things where we can make it look good at work and have you know, go out with, you know, have a couple of drinks with friends after work and have that whole social vibe around work and be, you know, cheerful and happy on the job or look that way, but get home and kind of just fall apart. I think there's a couple of things come into play there, Anthony. You said, you know, about that gender bias and there is, you know, whether we want there to be or not, there is still a massive social conditioning that in a nutshell, it's not okay for men to show their emotions as much as it is for women. I mean, that's, you know, massively stereotyping here. And so at work, when you're at work and you're, you know, having to hold it all together, that's that's what you do. That's what you do. You don't, you just get on and you do your job. But the other thing that comes into play, I think, is that that safety and not saying people aren't safe and secure in their workplaces, but our safe people are our partners and our children and our family members. And so it's safer to let everything fall apart when you're around those people who love and support you no matter what. And so we do see that. And that that goes for men and women. We we get to work and we do what we have to do and we compartmentalise and we try and put aside all of our personal stuff. Or, you know, if we're not doing well, at work, if things aren't going well at work or it's stressful, we just do it. Hmm. But then we get home and we're potentially you know, rattier or edgier than usual or we're blowing up at our kids for things that you know, are just minor minor things that children yeah. do. And our, our ability, we call it the window of tolerance. Our, our window of tolerance very much narrows and we start behaving in ways that aren't necessarily helpful to relationships. So I think for me, that's one of the first signs is when people present and things aren't going well in relationships is, well, what's also going on at work? So we see though, you know, you talked a bit about what we might feel as individuals in the workplace and what we might see in ourselves, whether they're physical manifestations of, you know, physical illness, which are really track back to mental health challenges. But then also you've talked a little bit about how our behaviours can change, particularly outside the workplace, because we tend to put walls up between work and home and those sorts of things. Mm. What about when we talk about as a, as a leader or a manager of a team, what are perhaps, and I don't want people to go out there and try to be amateur psychologists and start analysing their team and their staff members, but what's some of the guidance you might give to leaders and managers who work in highly stressful, you know, stressful organisations and have to manage teams that are often under pressure? I think some of it comes down to really open communication. So managers not assuming that they know what's best for their teams. So you see it a lot, and this isn't you know, any one particular organisation, it's just across the board that we'll implement these strategies of, you know, <laughs> seeming work-life balance, but it's not necessarily including the employees in, in, like, engaging conversations about what is it that they need to have that balance in their life. I think it's a difficult one. I really do, because as we've just finished saying that people put on this work face, hmm. And so managers aren't necessarily going to see that somebody is struggling or having difficulties. And it's really where I think we come down to needing to have very good 
trust, safety in the environment, good communication. And I think leaders need to lead by example, not not come to work and tell everyone their problems so that people feel they can talk about theirs. But sometimes it's it's little things. Is it giving people space between things? Is that yeah, but but definitely giving them a choice with that too, because I think you know everyone deals differently with different situations like that. Debriefing is always a good idea. Perhaps I mean they use it a lot in first responder companies having peer support workers, so that's always a way to. But again, they've got to be people that people want to go and talk to. But peer support's always a good idea. Managers being open about it. So if it was a big incident, you know, maybe it's something that's affected them as well and they can talk about it. And again, I know I know the industry well enough to know that this isn't always possible because there are on rotating shifts. But as someone who used to work in a, a university environment, for example, getting emails from a boss at three o'clock in the morning when we didn't have any kind of situation that warranted sending emails at three o'clock in the morning, unlike info security, was often a pressure that we needed to be working longer hours as well. Does that make sense? So Mm. it's that modeling that good work-life balance. So you're the manager who says that you did things on the weekend with your family or that you, you know, went out and had a nice night out with mates or something and that you're not modeling being at the office ridiculous amount of hours. That's actually, and that perhaps is the big, the, one of the best pieces of advice you can give any manager in any situation is model the good behaviour. Yeah. You know, working model 14 hour days are not healthy. You can have a manager who can tell you till the cows come home that it's okay to leave the office at five and go home and be with your family. Hmm. But if they're there until eight o'clock every night, the underlying message is that it's not okay, whether yeah. they mean it to be or not. You've got to walk the talk. Yeah, walk the talk. When we talk about, you know, the individual in their workplace and potentially, you know, when we talk about information security incidents, I mean, sometimes a ransomware attack on one computer is inconsequential, but a ransomware attack on one computer when it's the CEO is very consequential. So trying to understand and quantify incidents can be quite tricky because it's not necessarily numbers. It's often about where things happen or when things happen. What are some of the strategies that individuals can employ to, to protect their health in the workplace? I mean, we, we talk about OH&S ad nauseum in workplaces <laughs> um, because it deals with the physical environment and we can that, that's tangible. We can do stuff about it. But what about, what about some of the things that individuals can do to minimise the risks to their own mental health? Probably the same things I'd say that people need to be doing outside the workplace, except again, we need to be making it acceptable to do. So taking timeouts. So if you're at work having a, you know, a 12 hour shift and there's stuff coming at you left, right and center, you can't be on for those 12 hours. It's, it's just not physically possible. Hmm. And so to, to make it acceptable to step outside for a five-minute break. And I know people, I know what people do. They're like, oh, taking five minutes out is not going to make this go away. I'm still going to come back to the same level of stress. But but from a brain neurobiology point of view, it makes a huge amount of difference. There are, you know, we talk about meditation a lot. I'm not a big proponent of meditation when people are in the middle of stressful situations because it's actually really stressful to try and go from super stressed to super relaxed in five minutes. But there are other things we can do. And people really, really downplay things like taking deep breaths. And I know everyone rolls their eyes and they're like, as if taking five deep breaths. But we know what it does to the, the central nervous system. We know it knocks you out of 
you know, a massive fight or flight situation, which I imagine you guys are in a lot when there's really big incidents going on. And it will... I'm a huge proponent for that. Like I know that there are some nights when I go to sleep and and I'm not working directly in the industry at the moment, but yeah. I know there are nights when I go to sleep now and I go, oh, I really, I can't get to sleep. Yeah. But I really, I literally just lie there and say, right, I'm going to just, I just breathe deeply and I do it through my nose rather than through my mouth. I do five big deep breaths through my nose. Yeah. And inevitably within five minutes, I'm out, I'm done. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it does make a huge difference because you've knocked your body into this parasympathetic response you get tired you get sleepy and it's much easier to to drift Mm -hmm. off at that point yeah Yeah. so I would you know as simple as it sounds I would be saying and if it means setting an alarm on your phone because most of us require that level of reminder to set an alarm every hour you know five minutes to the hour whatever works if you've got a Fitbit or an Apple watch it's probably telling you at 10 to you haven't taken enough steps anyway so get up take a walk take five deep breaths and go back. I mean, the incident's still going to be there. Yeah. And there's very few incidents where a couple of minutes will make them, you know, aren't necessarily going to make a huge difference. The, yeah. the other interesting thing about that is because typically people who work in the cybersecurity industry, are, you know, they've got that engineering mind and want to think about things and problem solve them methodically. Mm. I mean, you're saying the science tells you to do this. The yep. science tells you you're not actually going to have access to your prefrontal cortex where we make our rational decisions if we are in fight or flight. Yep. So if you can actually calm your system down, you're actually going to be making far better decisions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's probably a good takeaway for people dealing with incidents in general. Mm-hmm. I always say when I've worked in incident response is that almost always the first thing you do when you're in reactive mode makes it worse. It's not, it's not the knee-jerk reaction. It's a different thing that needs to happen. We definitely don't want the knee-jerk reactions. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's really interesting. So really, we're talking about people just being a little bit more thoughtful a lot of the time about how they manage time, how they manage their just taking that moment, creating space. Yeah. Really, you know, and having a space in the workplace to be able to walk away is not, you know, is possibly something that organisations can be thinking about too. Yeah. So things like that. So there are some, you know, strong neuroscience and scientific links that sort of say this, the things you're talking about actually do work. They're not, this is not black magic. They're not just airy-fairy. No, they're they're very much linked with how our brain is reacting in those situations. Yeah, that's excellent. I'm going to throw you a slightly controversial question because we are in the lead up now to Are You OK Day? And I think this Mm episode is going to be released on Are You OK Day? Excellent. Um, I mean, initiatives like this initially, you know, at the start, they are very important because they do bring attention to things that are often, you know, neglected or, you know, swept under the rug or ignored. But we've been doing Are You OK Day now for a while. Is it helpful to have just this one day where we really focus? Is, you know, or do we, need to, do we need to move on from having the, the one special? Look, I think, I think the one special day is always going to stick around. We've got a special day for everything these days. I think, I think we're up to five special things every day of the year. We've got so many of them now. But you're right. They're initially designed to raise awareness. And I think a number of years ago, mental health, especially mental health in the workplace, had was severely underappreciated. I think it's done what it needed to do. I think what annoys me the most about days like this is then we all we all rally to, you know, <laughs> Facebook feed is filled with people checking in on each other on our UK day, and that's wonderful. But, you know, I equate it to the 
people bringing children home from hospital after you've had a baby where everybody's there offering help in that first week and then everybody disappears, Mm. you know, at a time when you probably need it the most. So I think what we need to do is find a way to, and this is where it falls on organisations, I think, to ensure that Are You OK Day isn't just one day of the year, Mm. that there's strategies in place to do check-ins in meaningful, connected ways, not forced, fake ways. Yeah. It's not about making um, everyone wear a ribbon or a wristband or a T-shirt, you know, on ca- on a casual Friday every month. It's about putting those structures and systems in place, I guess, yeah. that you've talked about already, which are, the, it's really about making sure you've got the good strategies of, yeah. the, you know, the space for people to go, the, the room for them to be able to go and talk to someone. And, you know, sometimes it's as simple as what we did with at OzCert this year is just having someone available that they can go to anonymously. To, yeah. to, and sometimes it's just to unload. That was my first experience at a conference and it was an amazing experience. I really enjoyed it. And I was very surprised at the the percentage of uptake, to be honest. I, I wasn't sure how that would go with people wanting to just go and talk to a complete stranger as a once-off. I mean, they did have the opportunity to stay in contact if people wanted or needed to. But you're right, it was very much an opportunity for people to just, in an anonymous setting, have 60 minutes to just offload get some feedback, maybe some strategies if they wanted to. And it was it was really well received. Yeah, my um, recollection is that you were sold out, so to speak. Yes, it, it, it was pretty close to that. I think I think it dropped off on the Friday afternoon because there was like the keynote, you know, the final the final thing going in on Friday yeah. afternoon that people wanted and everyone, to And a lot of people bail early on the Friday. During the pandemic, when we saw a lot of separation in the workplace because of people working from home quite considerably across the country, some states, you know, had it far more challenging to others. I spoke with a lot of people during that time, obviously, and I think the thing that worked the most for people, and I think we could take forward somehow, is that even if people were working remotely and they weren't on team meetings a lot, literally they were at their computer doing their own thing, I saw a lot of workplaces implementing literally a five to ten minute coffee catch up in the morning online with their team. So it wasn't to talk about work. It wasn't to talk about the upcoming day. It wasn't a meeting per se. It was a, it was a check-in. It was just like how the virtual water doing. call or the virtual coffee room. The virtual coffee call in the morning. And I heard lots of positive things around that. And a lot of people saying that it would be good to find a way to implement that in the workplace, that there was a space each morning to just go, how's things? Yeah, yeah. So that's very much at an organisational level is ensuring that there's a space like that, that and it needs to feel relaxed, hmm. you know. That's awesome. So thanks. Look, that's been really, really helpful because you've really not just, because it's very easy to unload and talk about all the problems in the world, but we've been quite practical about trying to find some solutions and offer people some ways to work their way through some of these challenges that don't always involve going and finding a healthcare professional and making an appointment and getting referrals and all that sort of stuff, but actually just thinking about practical things we can do for ourselves and with our teams. Yeah. I want to ask you this last question, which is one that we've asked everyone across series two of the OzCert podcast this year. And that's around who are your, who are the heroes and mentors that have made the most difference to you in your career? It's a great opportunity for you to kind of call out someone that's been, or some people who have been particularly influential to you. I find a lot of inspirational people in my clients. They're the ones who, you know, they get it right because they've learned to implement the things that they need to to get right. So they're, they're finding that balance. They've figured out how to 
you know, I'm not a big fan of compartmentalization, but I do think there's a time to do it. There's a time to walk away from work and then walk into your home life and then, you know, back into. So they're the ones that can find that way to leave work at work, have a great family life, family life or friends life or whatever it is, and then walk back into their career and job and enjoy that. They're the they're the people who realize that they're not enjoying their careers and take the leap and walk away from those and figure out what their next step is. So I'm probably going to annoy you by not choosing anyone who's going to be out there in the world. It's really the everyday people who are battling through their own demons to find that that ability to to make their lives the best that they can. I think that's an awesome answer. I have to tell you, we've had people nominate movies as their inspiration. We've had people nominate people. We've had all sorts of interesting answers to this question. So been able to just point to the people you work with and see every day who take that leap of faith and make the change. That's an awesome answer. I love it. So thanks very much for your time today, Carla. I really appreciated it. Um, I'm sure that everyone who listens in will walk away from this having learned something and and perhaps having one or two new tools to take with them into their workplace, whether they're a leader or whether they're working on a particular incident or working in that information security world. So being able to actually do something practical is amazing. Thank you very much. Thank you. And now it's over to Beck and Mike. Thanks, Anthony. Really excited to be back with another episode. And today I'm joined by the lovely Mike Home. Thank you, Mike. Hello, Beck. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> another great episode. I'm really excited about this one. I know a lot of our delegates were really pleased this year at the ISIS conference to meet Dr. Carla. So yeah, really appreciative of her giving us some time to talk about mental health this month and for Are You OK Day. So, you know, obviously we're very passionate about mental health at OSIRT. We've done a lot of things over the last few years to to try and encourage people to support mm. their own mental health and support each other. Yeah, I think that's because a lot of us, as probably many people, many of the listeners have also been affected in their, their own lives in some way. You know, I've had, when I was very young, you know, a friend unfortunately took his own life and, you know, that was the wake up call for all of us that we just didn't really understand, you know, because no one saw the signs, you know, no one understood it. So I've always been somewhat conscious of it and I've worked in some some truly terrible workplaces where the you know you could cut the air with a knife and I guess when you create a workplace like that are you really creating an environment that's going to help people or are you just going to push someone over the edge and so it's been it's been I guess in my mind and I know a lot of us here at Osset feel the same way it's been something that's very been very close to us. Yeah, it, I think particularly the last few years with, you know, the highs and lows that everyone's endured, it's really brought oh, yeah. a lot of those things to the surface. But I'm really pleased that we're making it such a natural conversation mm. and, and so that stigma side of mental health is yeah. is slowly being stripped away. So That's I right. hope that everyone feel is feeling the same yeah. as us. And if anyone ever has ideas about ways that we can better support people's mental health, or, you know, we're, we obviously like to advocate in that in that space so i'd really like to thank blue hackers again um because they're the ones that that put me on to dr carla in the first place of this year's conference so without people thinking outside the box and coming up with different approaches well that's right like a lot of the things that you've done back in particularly with the conference like a lot of those things you know we wouldn't have known about some of these initiatives if we didn't have people come forward and and suggest these things so that's the power of the community exactly (laughs) yeah and i I was really proud that we had the mental health first aid training again this year as a tutorial so i'd really like to revisit that at some stage and think yeah. maybe we can deliver that outside conference even yeah. to, to people. I haven't actually done mine yet. The university offers it here as a separate course and it's it's booked out all the time. It's really hard to get into. <laughs> 
To be honest, I, I have done the course and I really enjoyed it, and but I wasn't quite prepared for how hard-hitting it was to, to face some of the topics. And, yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a very intense course, but one I'm really glad I did. So yeah. aren't we lucky that we have all this access to resources and training and yeah, <laughs> very good space to be in. Following on from that, I guess we should give a little update about Ossertland. Yeah, why not? <laughs> so... A few weeks ago, Mike and I went on a plane, which was super exciting. Very, very strange. Back to Osset Travel Time. <laughs> so we visited our lovely friends in Melbourne and and had a, a Melbourne meetup with our mm. members. So that was a really great experience. First um, in how many years? Two and a half years, maybe? Yeah. yeah. I, and I think the last event we did outside Queensland was in was Melbourne. Also Melbourne, and we've, yeah. <laughs> we've, we've started them back up there, which is great. So really appreciate the involvement from those that came mm. along. We are trying to do a few different things with our meetups. So as much as we can give you advice about our services and where things are at, it's also a great opportunity for us to sort of run some focus groups and understand how people Same are using way. services. So. Yeah. What, what sort of information are we trying to get out of our members at the moment, Mike? What's going to help well, us shape the future of Ulster? Beck, I'm glad you asked because this, this is something that's a little bit passionate for me, I suppose. I, I hear a lot about threat intelligence. You know, everyone's talking about threat intelligence and it means something different to every different person. And there's also plenty of vendors out there that are selling either good or bad threat intelligence. Is it fit for purpose? Is it not? So obviously we're in this space. You know, the, the role of a, a CERT, a cyber emergency response team, has, has evolved a lot over the years. You know, originally the world turned to CERTs for incident response, but, you know, there are so many good vendors and, and partners out there that can do that. The threat intelligence piece is probably more important these days to a lot of people because we can be proactive about it. So if we're going to do that well, you know, sure, we've got some great ideas. There's an amazing team of analysts here that are full of good ideas all the time. The project lists are just, you know, full of projects, which is great. But obviously what we need to do is figure out what is most important to our members. So because obviously we've got to direct, you know, all of those, all that energy, we've got to direct that in, in one one area. Otherwise, we're not going to meet the mark. So we've actually done, and, and one of our, our principal analysts, Mark Kerry-Smith, actually organised this for us at the, uh, the member in Melbourne. He actually led a bit of a workshop to figure out, well, what does this actually mean to everybody? How are you using it? How are you using threat intelligence? and what does it mean so that was that, that's sort of the, the beginning of a journey we're going on to just you know see if we're on the right track and tweak where we're going in the future to make sure it hits the mark i really enjoyed hearing members like working together it's, mm. it's something that we get to see in our member slack a lot you know that yeah. collaboration piece but having people in a room and going oh that's my frustration mm. or this is what we're doing with things it was almost therapeutic it, it? it really <laughs> is and so i liked that it kind of did take a little journey yeah. into oh comparing notes a little bit mm. and helping each other and um, yeah because yeah, we had government non-government education yeah we had quite a mix in there was the room, a great cross-section yeah, yeah. yeah all all going oh hang on in some ways we've got too much information mm. coming in and where are the duplicates and how yeah. do we handle that and yeah, yeah so some really great topics coming up that that really help us to make sure that we are giving people the best bang for buck with our services. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I guess the goal that we have for you lovely members is that we're going to be doing more of this traveling on planes business. Yay. So in the next few months, you'll, you'll be seeing a lot more of us. So our, our plans in the next couple of months are to hit up Sydney for a similar style event, as well as Perth and Adelaide. And if possible, we're also going to shoot over to Tasmania. Yes. So it's going to be a busy end to the year, but I think it'll be really good to 
you know, it's really nice to just have a chat to our members face to face outside yeah. of conference times and catch up on, on what people are doing and and and, and hopefully yeah. garner some more of this information. Absolutely. So have some ideas, have them ready. Talk to us now if you want. You know, you can talk to us in Slack anytime or phone or email if, if that's your thing. But certainly when we pop into your capital city, we'd love to see you in person and hear those stories and hear those questions for us. And, and outside that, if you, like Mike said, if you, you are keen, we're always up for a Zoom chat if you're, if you're not over Zooming. So it's a nice opportunity for us to connect with members and, yeah. and make sure that you are getting the most out of our services yeah. and understanding them. But if you've got some ideas, then we're, we're all for how we can improve our services as well. Yeah, I mean, two reasons for that, you know, obviously we're helping you, but the people at work here, you know, the reason that we're here is because we're a not-for-profit. So if we're not actually doing what our stakeholders, what our members want us to do, then we're not happy. And that's a common theme with everyone that works here. You know, we're only here for that reason. So if, if I can't put, you know, all the great ideas from our members together and help our team to achieve those, then I'm not doing my job. So yeah, looking forward to it. Awesome. All right. I think that's enough from us. Thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Share Today, Save Tomorrow, the OzCert podcast. Thanks to Dr. Carla Rogers and to Beck and Mike for their contributions to this episode. We'll be back next month with episode three of season two of Share Today, Save Tomorrow, with new guests and a look into the Australian cybersecurity scene. If you want to know more about OzCert, be sure to visit ozcert.org.au.